Good evening. Go and make disciples. This morning, James read this passage uh, found in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20, um, that reads, uh, When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what the disciples did. They went out. In the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14, we find the account of Paul's first, first mission journey. Tonight I'd like to touch on part of that journey and look at some of the trials they faced while spreading the gospel. In the church at Antioch, Barnabas and Saul are named by the Holy Spirit to be set apart for the work to which they are called. Starting in verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Throughout God's word, we see people set apart and called. It's important to note that they are not merely set apart to be his people, but we are set apart and called to do his work. That is God's plan, the, the most important message that could ever be told is in our hands. And we find it in God's word, and we, we are responsible for taking that word out. No matter how close, no matter how far, it, it has been given us. We are called, and, and we are told to go out. Continuing in verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pathos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You 
are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. In this passage, I am reminded of Saul's journey to Damascus, where he was the one persecuting Christians, and the Lord blinded him for a time. While we did not know if the sorcerer repented of his ways, the proconsul was convinced by this miracle. Verse 13, from Pathos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where, they, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to uh, Pisidian, Antioch. On the, so- on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, you and you, Gentiles, who worship God, listen to me. He then went on to describe their shared history, recounting each era that leads to the next. He spoke of the captivity in Egypt, the 40 years in the wilderness, the purging of the promised land of Canaan, the time of the judges, the time of the prophets. He reminded them of their kings, Saul and David. He told them of David's line and how it led to Jesus, the promised Savior. He then reminds them of the words of John the Baptist in verse 25. Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now comes the gospel, a hard-hitting, shocking to realize, but an all-inclusive offer of salvation. Listen to the rest of the chapter and try to imagine being there, hearing this new word. In verse 26, fellow children of Abraham, And you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, They took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witness to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, 
You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose, in his own generation he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you will, not, that you will never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Now listen carefully to the next few verses where Paul reveals that God's salvation is offered to all. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they took the so they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the holy spirit while this is not the end of their mission we see that the workers went out the word was spread and though, though there was some opposition and some obstacles god's will was done and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Church, our mission has not ended either. We too are called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are also reaching out to the Gentiles, like Paul. The gospel is for all.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for recording these words and, and letting them endure. And Father, letting, letting us see the, the beautiful plan that you had and how it unfolds and, and has come to fruition and, and brought forth our Savior. And Father, we, we pray that you press on us every day the, the gravity of this message that we have to take and let us not be lazy and complacent with it. Father, we pray that you give us courage um, no matter where we go and let us uh, speak boldly like your disciples and, and let us not be discouraged by the obstacles that the devil will put in, in place of us and in front of us. And we thank you, Father, for your patience with us and, and we thank you for your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. As you know, the book of Acts is not a letter. It's an account of the beginnings of the church. It's a report of the Acts of the Apostles. And it's a report of the things that happened on their missions. Our elders have asked me to again share the report of our mis- one of our missions. And I'd like to do that. Many of you will remember that in June of 2019, this congregation sent out our youth on a mission trip. And through your generosity, the leadership of the elders, and the grace of God, 21 of us traveled to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, in order to take part in the ongoing mission works that are coordinated and facilitated through torch missions. These torch missions focus on providing basic needs benevolent relief to the severely impoverished. Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras, is surrounded by mountains and covers an area roughly the size of Anchorage, but has nearly four times the population at 1.2 million. However, more than 66% of the inhabitants live in poverty and in rural areas. One in five Hondurans survive on less than a dollar and 90 cents per day. And we can only imagine what a pandemic has done. Our group of 21 joined some 60 other Christians from churches of Christ throughout the U.S., many of whom participate annually, and it quickly became apparent to us that this group came to do some good work. Together over nine days, we built 18 houses, served several meals at the landfill and on the streets of the city, packed and delivered a thousand bags of food, held three vacation Bible school days with puppets and crafts, visited a hospital, an orphanage, and painted a preacher's school. We were very tired and yet so energized and uplifted by the fellowship and oneness of spirit. When asked, what was the most meaningful thing about the Honduras mission to you? Some of those that went, like Riley O'Pry, she wrote, what touched me the most was how caring, generous, and thoughtful the Honduran people were. 
not only to us, but also to each other. The extent of the community and love were constant examples of Jesus to me and something that I do not always find here in America. Macy Foster wrote, I think the most meaningful thing to me from this mission trip was seeing how happy and content the people who are living in complete poverty are compared to us. We have so much, yet are always complaining about something. They are happy with so little, and, and we are complaining because we have so much. And also the willingness of the Honduran adults and children to help out building houses or whatever it was we were, do, we were doing, even when it didn't directly benefit them. Josh Prochesky writes, Their perspective on life. They never seemed to be upset or disappointed, but they were content with what they had and overjoyed to receive anything from a bag of water or crayons to a new house. Ben Peckham writes, It was nice to see how the people of Honduras treated each other and watch out for one another. Julia O'Pry writes, I met some of the most wonderful people in Honduras. They had so little and yet are so joyful kind and caring. They were always willing to meet me and greet me with a smile. Honduras is a beautiful place full of beautiful people. It is filled to the brim and overflowing with love. I was so blessed by the ongoing mission trip and the Lord and Lord willing, I can't wait to go back. Jonah Wiles writes, it was good to put our lives aside to better the lives of others. Kira Hewlett said, It surprised me that the children were so loving to people they had just met. River Mayhew writes, It felt good knowing that a family had a place to stay because of the work that was done. Dwayne Nichols says, The camaraderie with not only the mission team, but the other Christians we met. Carrie Prochesky said, being able to see that we were quite literally an answer to prayer, it was so encouraging and humbling. Quinn Geyer says the best part was building houses and playing with the kids at the building site. Mitchell Geyer said, I was moved by the number of things we take for granted that they don't even have, like clean water, a fridge, a washing machine, and I loved playing soccer with the kids. Lori Geyer writes, I was touched by the gratitude the people showed when they received a bag of food and the care they had for their neighbors, when they would point out another house that could also use food. Some had tears in their eyes as they told us, as they had prayed that morning for food. And delivering food bags is no joke. It's a workout. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 37 through 39 reads, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What touched me the most was realizing that the people of Honduras are our neighbors. And these humble, tattered, and forsaken places that they live are the very kinds of places that Jesus would have gone. It was extremely fulfilling to be able to say, 
In el nombre de Cristo, in the name of Christ, here is water, here is food, here is shelter, here is love. On behalf of the mission team, I would like to thank you again for your generosity and your willingness to send our youth on this mission. Even now, preparations are being made to return to Honduras. And if it is God's will, and he allows time to continue, we are planning to send a mission team there this coming June of 2023. Please keep this work in your prayers. And know that before a mission team can go, they must have the support of those who send. Thank you, Maury. Our hymn of encouragement will be hymn 337, hymn 337. So uh, 